I'm Em. Welcome to the first episode of Miscellany Media Reviews, a production of Miscellany Media Studios. In this first episode, we'll be discussing Twilight, the 2005 novel by Stephanie Meyer. Also, we will still be trying to figure out what the show is exactly going to be. Hopefully it's not a sinking ship. I really hope it's not a sinking ship. I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, I want to start off with a really brief and informal explanation of the thing I'm going to be reviewing, casting aside the issue of how necessary such a thing is. So, Twilight. When you type it into Wikipedia just to remind yourself what this specter from your past actually is, it doesn't take you straight to the page about the book series, but to the page about that time of night. And let me just say, that Wikipedia article is surprisingly long and interesting. I recommend. But then to get back on track, I had to click on the disambiguation link and under the book section, you find the novel series by Stephanie Meyer right at the top. Twilight is the infamous or famous vampire romance that defined the early 2000s. This first book, Twilight, was released in 2005. The rest soon followed, as did the movies, and a lot of related merchandise. The series centers around the main character, Bella Swan, after she gets shipped off to a small town in Washington State to live with her father. And Bella... well... well, while it may not have been intended, Bella didn't have any other defining characteristics besides this big shift in her life. Which is a really delicate way of saying Bella didn't have a personality. Maybe she did, once upon a time, and she just couldn't fit it into her suitcase. I don't know. But to get back to the summary, Twilight's Forks Washington is this battleground for a vampire versus werewolf standoff, which then becomes a vampire versus vampire turf war. But it also becomes a, in quotes here, war over Bella. Edward the Vampire is in love with her, but it's unwise for him to be with her. Jacob the Werewolf doesn't have the same problem, but he also doesn't have the same allure that Edward does. And maybe I didn't need to say any of that. Twilight was a pop culture phenomenon, and I'm about 10 years too late for that hype train. Or not quite 10 years, maybe? It was still going when I graduated high school, and according to Facebook's On This Day system, I only graduated seven years ago. But look, I'm not bringing up high school as an indirect or roundabout way of taking a pot shot at Twilight or its fans. And it's not an arbitrary time marker to orient myself around either. You see, dear listeners, Stephanie Meyer went to my high school. Not at the same time I did, of course. And as far as I'm reasonably aware, we've never actually crossed paths, but that's not the point. This weird entanglement of our lives is. Even years, and let's leave it at an undefined number of years for the sake of argument, after its peak, Twilight is still a rather contentious book, evoking intense opinions on both sides. And passions being what they are, I don't see that ever changing. Which is fine, and I genuinely mean that, but that's a topic for a different episode. As for this episode, however, I want to push forth an argument that may make both sides a bit uneasy. I think Twilight does have something to teach us, something pretty important. But then again, I might only think that because of this weird role it had in my life. It's certainly not a lesson I learned when I actually read Twilight, but something I only realized long after. 
Comments about her present merit set aside for now. Stephanie Meyer wasn't a brilliant novelist or poet or anything like that in high school. Believe me, I've seen some of her early work, but when you've accomplished anything in your life, the past gets rewritten to be more reflective of the present. The legend of Stephanie Meyer that exists in my high school was one of a bookish teenager destined for the stage in her life. Granted, this was never said aloud, but the multiple shelves of Twilight books in the school library, the movie posters hanging on the shelves that were constantly being replaced whenever some mischief maker who wanted to seem edgy gouged Edward's eyes out, and the Twilight displays all over campus suggested a pride linked to that early confidence. Then there was the fact that there was always a whispering about her in the halls, which the conspiracy-prone side of me thinks was purposely propagated by the school administration to keep the aura of prestige alive. More likely, it was just a pretty cool claim to fame for an otherwise ordinary high school. Or a high school that feared it was ordinary. Regardless of whether or not it was true, this revised account of Stephanie Meyer's high school years was convenient for a number of reasons. For one, there was a rumor going around that a nearby high school was saved from being shut down by an alumni cutting a stupidly large check. Essentially, the unverified story goes that the district needed to downsize the number of high schools in the district for a variety of reasons, which wasn't a great situation, but they made the best of it and rationally selected the smallest high school whose student body could be distributed easily between two other schools without overburdening either of them. But then this alumni, who shall remain nameless because I really can't verify any of this, hears that his old high school is going to be closed and calls someone at the district to ask, how much money do I have to pay to keep my high school open? The person on the other end of the line came up with a stupidly high sum and that sum got paid. But this person didn't consult their boss or anyone like that, so this check couldn't keep all the high schools open, which meant they had to shut a different one down, which they did. Yeah, it's an absurd story, and maybe everyone believed it simply because it meant that worshipping the ground Stephanie Meyer walked on could come in handy someday. But even if it wasn't true, she still served them a different purpose. Stephanie Meyer is a beacon of a certain type of literary achievement. While what she wrote may not be technically good, she's a world-famous best-selling author whose books are everywhere and inspired another author to write another book series that is also everywhere. In many ways, regardless of if what she made is bad, she rose to the top of the authorial heap. When I was in high school, at least at my high school, there was no author bigger than Stephanie Meyer. And that's exactly what the figurative powers that be wanted. And by that, I don't mean the principal, the teachers, the people at the district. No, I don't mean any literal person or position. And if I'm misusing that phrase, then so be it. But there's a current at many American high schools and universities that bends in a particular direction one that is desperate for achievement and the prestige that comes with it. It doesn't matter who inhabits what position, this goes beyond people. Because our high school, in the heart of the very wealthy Scottsdale, Arizona, where parents could throw money at problems, wasn't struggling to keep its head above water, we were the perfect prey for this type of force. The figurative powers that be wanted their high school to be packed full of future industry leaders, famous athletes, 
and high-ranking government officials. In the present, these are known as the type A overachievers getting a head start on that rat race before the starting gun has even been loaded. Essentially, what happens is the school system almost leeches off of these achievements to justify their own ends and perpetuate their own existence. Ignore all the systemic factors that actually influence student achievement and outcomes. If your students are amazing, you can always say that you did it. And who's going to prove otherwise? For that, myths are useful. Incredibly so. So if you could portray high school Stephanie Meyer, of course back then she was Stephanie Morgan, as a talented writer-to-be who thrived under your careful tutelage, all the better. It's a great story to tell potential funding sources, and it's a great way to perpetuate the current you want your current students to ride. But here's the thing. I don't doubt I went to high school with those future industry leaders, medical experts, government leaders, NGO founders, or anything like that. That list of famous alumni is going to be stupidly long in a couple years, and none of it has to do with Stephanie Meyer. She was just the flavor of the month during my four years. But that's Stephanie Meyer. What about me, you might be asking. Or might not be. To be blunt, high school me was a hot mess who, for so many reasons, couldn't really envision her own future. She had to depend on other people to do that for her. There's a huge explanation and story behind that, but it's a story for another time. Or maybe another episode if you feel like subscribing, but no promises. But the point is, I was an incredibly insecure person, desperate for direction, who was now suddenly trapped in the shadow of a person constantly discussed, though she was both praised and ridiculed. Usually ridiculed. And also, I loved writing. It wasn't like I dreamed of being a writer, though. To me, there was a distinction. When I was growing up, I went through dozens of iterations of what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a veterinarian who also wrote books. I wanted to be a doctor who also wrote books. I wanted to be a president who also wrote books. I wanted to be a paleontologist who also wrote books. And I, reluctantly, wanted to be a lawyer who also wrote books. Do you see a pattern here? I loved writing, but it wasn't a career choice. It was just something I did, something I always wanted to do. And because I was stuck in Stephanie Meyer's shadow as someone who also wrote things, she became a sort of de facto role model. I mean that in the sense that role models give us a reference for what is possible, what can happen, and what we can do. And when you're horribly insecure, They are an example of what you have to do. It wasn't enough to just write, or to write because it brought me joy. No, that's not how this whole thing works. Writing couldn't be an end in itself anymore. It had to be part of a larger achievement, of a stupidly large achievement. I had to be a best-selling author. I had to make millions from my books. I had to sell millions of those books. Go big or don't go at all. There's no go home. This is home. Home is telling me these things. Had things gone differently, it would have been easier to dismiss her constant presence in my life. I could have gone on writing just because it was what I enjoyed rather than because I needed to achieve the cultural statute she had, but I couldn't seem to get away from her. We even had the same English teacher. I know if you go digging for it, you could probably find out who he is, 
but since his name doesn't come up in the first page of a Google search, I'm just gonna call him Mr. D for now. When I had him, Mr. D was already pretty up in years. I mean, he was old. And while he said plenty of things that danced around that fact, he never hit it over the head. So he had maybe thousands of students over the course of his very long career. But Stephanie Meyer, of course back then she was Stephanie Morgan, stood out in his mind. He spoke of her fondly, and often, particularly when it came time to read her books. Yes, Twilight was actually assigned reading in one of my English classes, but before, dear listeners, you flip out about this incredibly specific failure of the American public school system, let me soften some of the implications of that statement. We read dozens of books for his class, including Jane Eyre, Great Expectations of Mice and Men, Fahrenheit 451, Red Badge of Courage, The Grapes of Wrath, Catcher in the Rye, and that was all in the first nine weeks. Mr. D piled on the reading while assigning us hours of sentence diagramming and 20 vocabulary words a week for his weekly examinations. Yes, we had a test every Friday, and yes, most horrifyingly, these tests were cumulative. Well, they start off as tests, then they become exams, and then they become nightmarish beasts of sheer terror and horror. By the time we got around to reading the first two books of the Twilight series, we really needed the break. Like, this was not an assignment so much as it was an act of divine mercy. But he didn't really intend for it to be a break. Mr. D had his own reasons for assigning those readings. But I'll get to that in a bit. Because right now, I'm sure the question on many of your minds is, well, what did you think about it? Now that you have admitted to reading those books, which team are you on? Not Team Jacob or Team Edward. I mean Team Twilight or Team Openly Mock Twilight, also known as Team That Guy Who Almost Hit Bella With His Car. Twilight famously had its detractors. They were remarkably loud and vocal about their displeasure, but Twilight fans were equally enthusiastic about their fandom. So which camp was I in, you might be yelling at this point. The answer will surprise those who know me, because as far as they are concerned, I wear my affiliation proudly on my skin. You see, dear listeners, I was proudly, as a result of reading it in this class, on Team Twilight. But not Team Edward or Team Jacob, mind you. I really didn't care either way because they both had their faults and their strengths, but mostly their faults, so it seemed like either way Bella was gonna lose. And uh, just another aside here, I guess she always could have gone the I'm a strong independent woman route and rejected both of her suitors, but let's face it, we all know that was not going to happen, it wasn't in Bella's limited character and the fans would have been in an uproar that the love story they had been so personally invested in was no longer a love story. Basically, Stephanie Meyer dug herself into a hole she had no way of getting out of. If you couldn't figure it out, I have absolutely no misconceptions about the quality of Twilight. And I think there's a surprising number of people in the fandom who would agree. The books aren't technically good. They exist, but can't make any greater claim than that. Except, they might be a hot mess, but they are an enjoyable hot mess. 
There's that cliche we tell children about reading, or I think we tell children. I grew up hearing it, but I don't know if it's still said. It's some variation of, reading is a way to escape into a different world, and yeah, I believe that. Because when you're reading, you can escape into the plot of someone else's life. You get the emotional adventure of all the dramas, all the ups and downs, but you don't have to face any of the repercussions or put in any effort. It was a break, is what I'm saying, from all the problems and pitfalls of my life at the time. And it was a welcome break. It was a needed break. But that's my perspective anyway. To take things back to Mr. D, he wasn't assigning these readings to be kind. He might have been the only teacher from her time at Chaparral to still be there by the time I got around. There are a couple passing mentions of teachers in her books, but these are larger-than-life figures around campus in their own right, so I'm not sure if she was in their class or had just heard of them. But to get to the point, Mr. D didn't assign Twilight as a way to stroke his own ego or as a, oh, look at what my student did, aren't I amazing? Mr. D wasn't like that, and I know what I'm talking about because I have had teachers who were slash are like that. But he wasn't one of them. Great teachers have a passion for unlocking the potentials of their students, but some of them have a more specialized approach than others. Mr. D wanted to make us writers, or at least he wanted us to try writing, and those of us who had some innate drive to it could then choose to stick with it. That had always been his thing, long before Stephanie Morgan became Stephanie Meyer who became THE Stephanie Meyer. Once Twilight was read, Mr. D segued into our most arduous project, writing a short story. And this assignment really was about making the story. He didn't give us a page range, he didn't give us a prompt, and he didn't give us a genre. He gave us four requirements and a due date. That's it. So at this point, right, I'm 16, and defensively, I've adopted this sort of bravado about my writing. That yes, I was in fact a writer in whatever sense you thought that word meant. I wasn't published yet, but I was going to be. And I was going to be better than you, better than Stephanie Meyer, better than anyone. I was going to figuratively own the world, and that was that. I had already started, you know, on some level, because I was constantly writing. I hand-wrote all my first drafts, so everyone saw me do it. Well, that wasn't the point, it was just an unintended consequence of the way I did things. I had an image of being a writer, and that's all I had going for me in high school. It was just a front, though. My insecurities were rapidly growing, and writing was a crutch. It helped cover up these insecurities, but it also helped me work through them through a self-administered pseudo-narrative therapy. Consequently, the stakes going into that assignment felt pretty high. I was presenting myself as the best writer, I was subtly being told that I needed to be the best writer, and I was trapped in the shadow of a standard I didn't particularly agree with or like. It wasn't a good situation. Of course, it didn't help that I've never been particularly good at short stories. I prefer novels just because I've always been a long-winded person. Short stories don't lend themselves to that because, you know, they kind of have to be short. But nuance didn't matter. If nuance had ever mattered, I wouldn't have been in that mess in the first place, now would I? I needed to make not just a great short story, but the best short story. 
bonus points if Mr. D said it was the best story that had ever been written in his class. However, it had to be the best of my class at the very least. That part was not negotiable. Was I delusional? Probably, but I'm more inclined to use the word desperate. And this fire was fueled by all those who kept telling me how excited they were to read my story, even though I was notorious for keeping all my work private. With all that in mind, I got right to it, right? I, I hit that notebook hard and I started working. Nope. Super nope. I procrastinated like the assignment was to procrastinate. And even at the time, I knew I shouldn't have been doing that, but I can't really explain why I was doing it. I can't remember enough of that time to piece together a sturdy explanation. The only one I have is that maybe it was a defensive reaction that the only surefire way to not fail is to not do. I don't know. But I do know that I waited until two days before the deadline to actually start. I frantically handwrote the first draft, typed it up, did a few cursory edits, all in all, I think I spent maybe 20 hours on something that had the ability to define my whole life. For the record, I had given it that status, no one else had, fully taken ownership. It might have been more time, but admittedly, I was working on it during passing periods, car rides, and a couple minutes in class when we weren't doing anything else. It's hard to track all those spare minutes, so I might be wrong. For all my work, in quotes or not, I ended up with 30 pages double-spaced and absurdly proud of that. And while that might not be something I should be super proud of, it was an objective type of pride. I had in fact written 30 pages over the span of two days, and there is nothing that could be said to undercut that, because that statement has nothing to do with quality. On the other hand, I was also absurdly proud of my, in quotes, deep and profound symbolism. You know the kind. The kind where you throw a character's name into Google Translate if you want to see what my convoluted point was or which singular trait I wanted to use to define the character as a whole. And even then, there's still not enough in the story for you to figure it out all on your own. I thought I was being clever, because only the truly astute would be able to see what I was getting at. Hey, we all do stupid things in life, and in my defense, I see now that this was a spectacular failure relative to what my perceptions and expectations were. But in that moment, I genuinely thought I had made something vaguely reminiscent of a masterpiece. And look, he gave me an A, because it did meet the requirements. But I didn't get the praise I wanted. Instead, I got thrown out of this throne I had never been seated in, and in what felt like a very real descent, my plummet ended in a very hard landing. Because, you see, the best story of the year was in the class. It just wasn't mine, but that of a girl who sat two rows over who, up until that point, had never shown any interest in writing. And yet, she had outdone me. It stung, to say the least, and when the class wanted her entire story read aloud, my wound started burning. And, just as a final nail in this coffin, her story was 50 pages, beating me on that front too. Whenever we had a few minutes to spare at the end of class, Mr. D would pull out her story and read a little bit of it aloud until the bell rang, 
And to his credit, he had a remarkable talent for it. Like, he really should have gone into audiobook narration. He missed his calling. But I couldn't enjoy the show. This was such a loaded topic for me. And all I could do was be miserable. Her story was about a man who made a deal with the devil to go back to his glory days and reclaim the lost love his youthful arrogance told him to cast aside. At least, that's what I remember. And that's all I remember. I'm not sure if we ever finished it, or if I was just absent during the grand finale, but then again I'm missing more than the grand finale. I guess I just never paid attention. The story itself didn't matter to me. The damage had already been done. Forget the fancy metaphors, or whatever could make this moment more climactic than it really was. I'm just going to be blunt. I decided that I had to give up writing. If I couldn't do anything with it, then I shouldn't do it at all. If accomplishments were the only thing that mattered, and I wasn't going to accomplish anything with it, then I had to let it go. I can't really blame Stephanie Meyer for any of this, nor do I want to, or do I want it to seem like that's what I'm doing. The person Stephanie Meyer is nowhere involved in the story, and the abstract concept that is Stephanie Meyer was no more than a thing that was just kind of there. But symbols, in my mind, are fair game for personal hatred and feelings of betrayal. They exist in the public domain after all. Or I think so. At the very least, it's better to hate the symbol of a person I'd never meet than a great teacher or a fellow student I would spend another two years with. A relationship with a symbol is nowhere near as important as a relationship with a person, and it's a lot easier to fix. Anyway, I kept writing all through high school. I never wanted to give it up, but what I wanted didn't matter. As I saw it, I could write in high school because high school didn't matter beyond keeping my grades up, which would get me into a good university, which would come with a figurative one-way ticket out of that place and to the rest of my life. Fast forward to me being 18, which is only two years so it shouldn't need a fast forward button, but let me have that one. 18-year-old me probably would have benefited by being punched in the face. Not for any one reason, and it might not have helped at all, but it was worth a shot, I guess. I was just stuck in my own head, obsessing about idiosyncrasies no one else likely noticed, and I didn't have a good way of getting out of this. Writing had helped me with that. But now that I didn't have that, I didn't know what else would work. But what didn't help me was that my roommate at the time was a huge Twilight fan, as were her friends who would occasionally come by our room to hang out. And with Breaking Dawn Part 1 released during our time together... My word, I was a world away from my high school, but Stephanie Meyer had followed me that far. And I hated her for it. The symbol, anyway. It was better than hating my roommate. The hype died down a bit in the spring, despite Breaking Dawn Part 2 scheduled to come out the following November. There was the Hunger Games to think about, and so many other things that I should have had a welcome break. But Twilight was still white noise in the back of my mind, and I couldn't seem to turn it off. Not on my own, anyway. And then he said, It's helpful, isn't it? Everything in my mind stopped, including that otherwise inescapable static. I was just confused and scrambling to figure out what he meant. See, here's what happened. I had just given him my exam, and in return, he had said that to me.
Sensing my confusion, he gestured to the sea of pencil on my desk, something that my anxiety needed, but something that I had been mocked for, or teased for, by other students and even other professors. But rather than tease me, or mock me, or anything like that, he was kind. I know this was a small thing, a very small thing. It took him all of a few fractions of a second to say, and cosmically speaking, this, as well as myself, are completely irrelevant, but this didn't need to belong to the whole world. His remark, his kindness, was mine. Entirely mine. It got me to trust him, which was the beginning of a long process of building me back up. My perception of myself was distorted. It had been for a long time, having been beaten out of shape by various forces in my life and all their lies. He couldn't undo the damage, but he helped me to. And in many ways, I think he wasn't the one that needed to do it. Imposing a functional understanding of the world is still technically in a position. So instead, he said to me, I wish you could see yourself as I see you. It took me a little while to figure that out, but I think I got it now. He knew I wasn't perfect. I wrote at least one really bad essay in his class. I was incredibly anxious and neurotic, and I was very difficult to talk to. No, I wasn't perfect, but I still mattered to him. Mr. D didn't teach Twilight in the same way he taught other books. There was no big lesson about themes or symbols. It just sat, stagnant as supposed inspiration, and I earnestly wish he had taken a different approach. Because there was something to learn, something that this professor taught me that I really wish I could have learned earlier. Something doesn't have to be perfect to matter. Something doesn't have to be perfect to be cared about or loved. Twilight is a hot mess, but it still became a pop culture phenomenon. To call Bella a hot mess would be overly generous, but she still had two boys fall in love with her. Edward and Jacob weren't perfect, but better or worse, they had their own followings. Perfection isn't a requirement for relevance or existence. It's true in many cases, but Twilight makes the point pretty obvious. And that's the lesson I wish I had learned from Twilight.